Hi, friends, and welcome to the Faithful Podcast, stories of people who walked by faith and gained a fuller understanding of the faithfulness of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Baker. Thank you so much for taking time to listen. If you love the Faithful Podcast, please leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on faithfulpodcast.podbean.com or on Instagram at faithfulpodcast. Also, please check out my husband, Phil Baker's podcast, Reclaiming the Faith, and his amazing music on iTunes. His latest album is called Love and War, and the songs are so powerful. For this episode of the Faithful Podcast, I'm talking to Jenny Enright. This is part one of two as I talk to her about warning signs of unhealthy churches. Jenny is one of my closest friends, and we had a great time chatting. The things that we talk about are heavy, and they've taken years for her to heal from. Our interview was conversational, and since she's one of my closest friends, we did keep it pretty lighthearted. Jenny and I have been through other difficult things together, and we've learned that laughter helps us to cope. So without any further delay, here is part one of my interview with Jenny Enright. Today, I'm here with Jenny Enright, and I'm so excited for you guys to all hear what she has to say. Jenny, thank you so much for coming today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Jenny is one of my closest friends, and I'm really excited to talk to her today. So, um, Jenny, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, I'm the youngest of six kids. Uh, I have three brothers, one who passed away. Two sisters. One is an identical twin. Um, I'm the good twin. (laughs) Uh, Lots of nieces and nephews and great nieces and nephews. Uh, No kids of my own, but I do have a 90-pound dog named Gretchen. (laughs) I was born in Oklahoma. We uh, moved to Houston when we were young and then moved to Kentucky twice, two different places. And then New Orleans and back to Houston. Wow. Um, Moving around. Yeah, a lot of moving. Basically been here since 83. Um, I taught special ed full-time for 14 years. I've been married to my husband, Dan, for 23 years. One of our dear friends. Yes. I like him, too. (laughs) Um, My mom passed away in 97 of pancreatic cancer. Um, I have a, a stepmom, though. She's awesome. And a stepsister, stepbrother. And and so very blessed to have a great family. And um, and I'm currently working at a theological library. And I've been there since 2011. Wow. Man, lots of family. That's wonderful. That's really, really good. So, Jenny, tell us how you came to know Jesus. Um. Well, my grandparents uh, would read Bible stories to us, and my say us, my my younger my sister, not younger sister, she's Same older. Oh, yeah, she's fourteen <laughs> minutes older. So, um, and she looks it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, my uh, grandparents would read Bible stories to us, and I don't really have an exact date or age to say. Oh, that's when I trusted Christ as my Savior, but. I just um, remember thinking and, and knowing some, Jesus is the way to heaven. I knew that um, I couldn't be good enough to get to heaven. And I just remember this one particular incident stands out to me um, when my sister and I would would 
like crack eggs over each other's heads <laughs> and just, you know, mess with each other. And my mom got upset that we were taking all the eggs. And so she told me, or told us both not to do that anymore. Well, I went, I wanted to get Julie back. And so I did steal another egg out of the fridge to crack over her head. And I remember just, I felt so guilty that I did that after my mom told me not to. And so I took $20 that I had, which was a whole lot back then, Uh and uh, put it in my mom's purse thinking, okay, that'll be good. I'll, I'll feel better. Well, I still felt really, really guilty. And I just knew I couldn't pay for what I did. And I guess that's the total depravity of man. I just realized that uh, there was nothing I could do to make up for what I had done mm-hmm. and lying to my mom and and doing that. So um, anyway, I, I just remember that if I was going to get to heaven, it it couldn't be by my own good works because I wasn't good enough. I don't know. I just knew that. And then that it was through Jesus. Of course, I I had the typical picture of the Malibu Jesus on my <laughs> dresser, you know, blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus. And um, But I really didn't know a lot, a whole lot about him. And uh, and I, even though I was a Christian, because I believed I was saved when I was young, I knew it was through Christ, um, I didn't necessarily act like it in college or study the Bible until I was in my mid-20s. Mm-hmm. And then I really came to understand, um, you know, how you're saved through faith in Christ. That's awesome. That's, I think it's really powerful to know that your grandparents played such an important role. I mean, they were just telling you these Bible stories and they were just kind of planting these little seeds and like, you know, who knew that, you know, over time, this kind of winding journey that you would end up you know, deciding to follow Jesus and deciding to trust trust Him with your life. And um, I think that's really encouraging for a lot of us that are, you know, involved in ministry and that do serve little kids because sometimes you wonder how much is sinking in mm-hmm. and how much is really making a difference because, mm-hmm. you know, they all they want to do is have a snack or all they want to do is make a, you know, draw a picture or something like that. But there's so much more sinking in than we realize. And there's so much that we can do, even if we're not that, you know, these aren't our, our children necessarily. These, you know, these were your grandparents, but, you know, as an educator or, or um, as a volunteer at a church, you can have a huge difference on somebody's, the trajectory of their whole life. Oh, absolutely. And just the actions you have, like the, my grandparents' love for each other. Mm-hmm. And when my grandmother had uh, Alzheimer's, my grandfather actually, even though he didn't need to, he moved into the nursing home with her just to be by her. And so that that love, they just set yeah. that example. It's that selfless, selfless love that, you know, mirrors the love that Jesus Christ has for us. Absolutely. So, so I want you to tell me a little bit about your um, initial experience when you— um, you know, you and I have talked a lot about different church experiences, but there was one church experience that really stood out to you. So your initial experience um, at this, you know, church in your past. 
Mm -hmm. Um, This was, yeah, when I first, um, you know, I was still fairly, even though I believed in Jesus when I was young, I didn't have much knowledge and hadn't really studied my Bible. Uh, We never did become members of this particular church and only went occasionally to the main church. But we went to what was called an FX and got to know some really sweet people there. And it the first thing it was neat because I people there actually took their Bibles and mm-hmm. read them, which was <laughs> kind of like, oh, that's a novel idea. Right. Um, and the things I did learn, you know, I learned some great basic doctrines, you know, faith alone in Christ alone and uh, is what saves you and is eternal security. I knew I was secure that I couldn't lose my salvation and uh, I'm an animal lover and so I never understood the animal sacrifice thing that always bothered me mm-hmm. and like why would God do that and have people do that and then until I had that explained, you know, that that was symbolic of Christ and the sins being placed on him and when the right. priest would put the hand on the 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 person and then on to the the uh, sacrifice and symbolically transferring, transferring the sins yeah and so that was huge to me and there was just so much I was learning about the Bible so uh, that was really what what kind of kept me there and and really interested me and Matt and Julie my my twin sister and her then uh, boyfriend at the time were going, and then my husband Dan had been sent some books, and uh, he and some other guys in a band that he was in were going. So we started going there while we were dating, and uh, I liked the the in depth line by line teaching. Yeah, well, that sounds you know pretty good, especially when you're really trying to understand God's word. When you have somebody that's like, "Here, I'm going to break this down for you." That's that can be really, really helpful. So um, what what do you think initially drew you to the church? Um, I was hungry for the Word of God. I mean, I think that we don't always even realize what we need, but that's what I needed. And, yeah. um, and so just learning that, I just— I just wanted more and more. And I think if people, you know, when churches do focus on the Word of God and teaching, I mean, the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's true. true. And so that's what, that's what really got me, you know, was, was the, the learning the Word. Well, it sounds also like the community was super important. Had you had an experience with having really much of a Christian community prior to that? Um, not. Re- I mean, the the people that I knew were a lot of them were Christians, but we weren't necessarily living as Christians. I remember not that we were doing necessarily these horrible, horrible things, but yeah. um, in college, I do remember having a roommate that was part of a um, like a Bible study group, a church group, and they would go on you know, weeknights or on the weekend, and I just thought, oh, that sounds like a total drag. <laughs> Sorry if I'm being honest. And here I was a Christian, but thinking, yeah. that doesn't sound like fun at all. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but but we were, I wasn't really actively involved 
or discussing the Word of God with anyone. They might have been Christian, and I was a Christian, but that was about it. Yeah, that's a pretty powerful way to to be drawn in, I would say, because when you've not really experienced um, that that tight knit community where you you study God's word together and there's an intimacy in that and like you know you hopefully open up about things that you're struggling with and there's there's another level of intimacy with that and I can see how that would be um, a big way that you would get drawn into a, com- a church community. So um, when did you notice that your experience at this church started to change? Well, um, it's interesting, well, kind of going back to the other question real quick. We At the main church, there wasn't really, fellowship was not emphasized mm-hmm. at all. Okay. There was this, um, which I'll get to, the uh, <laughs> some of the doctrines that were made up. Mm-hmm. Privacy of the priesthood being one of them. Does that Bas- mean don't bother me? Basically, <laughs> like, uh, mind your own business, oh, no okay. accountability. <laughs> That's <laughs> looking back on it now. I like that term. But, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but in our group, because we went to a separate little hookup where we didn't actually go to the main church, we just would hear the message, we'd dial in and hear the message, then our little group did have a bond. So we did have that fellowship, which was unique to, I think, because the few times we did go to the main church, it was basically eyes ahead, you go, you leave, and that's it, Mm, which is kind of weird, I know, but... Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm sorry, your, your your next question was, when did I start noticing things yeah. changing? When did they start to change, yeah. Um, well, the main, one of the main things is Dan and I actually had our wedding ceremony performed by this pastor. Okay. And we didn't know him personally, but this was really our first, you know, my first involvement in a, in, in a church for any length of time, and... Um, we were told that he'd only do it on weeknights when they had Bible study class, and uh, which is kind of strange. <laughs> so they're going on simultaneously. It will right afterwards. So oh, you do it okay. in his study. So we only could have a few people in there. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. Doesn't it? <laughs> Sorry, that's not nice. No. I'm just picturing like, okay, and after fellowship, you know, cake and coffee, we're going to have a wedding. Yeah, but it didn't include anyone from the main church. There Mm -hmm. was no, it was like this, okay, I'll let you in for a few minutes. We'll do the ceremony kind of thing. And and I had to get, Dan actually kind of set it up and um, we... Had to get special permission, like for my nieces who were five at the time. I have twin nieces, mm-hmm. and then my nephew Nathan, who was just a baby, um, to be in the service. And which, hello, red flag too, you yeah. know. And uh, anyway, but supposedly that was all okay, and and we didn't want a big wedding anyway, you know. But uh, we were told by people that oh, the pastor will make you feel comfortable. It'll it'll be fine, and. So that night, um, I'm in a separate room waiting, and then Julie, my twin sister, comes in and starts out by saying, okay, now don't freak out, (laughs) which you're like, okay, obviously you're going to tell me something that's going to freak me out. She said, but uh, the twins can't come in the study, and, and Nathan can't come in, and I'm like, 
what? <laughs> and uh, she's just like, just go through with this. It's about, you know, your marriage to Dan. Just, mm-hmm. just, and I was like, okay. And I was really, really angry. And I was just, I, if, if it wasn't for the fact that Dan's family, his mom and dad and sister and brother and his sister's son, Nathan, uh, were coming in from Chicago on their way to the church f- from the airport mm-hmm. right then, I would have called it off. Not, not the wedding, but that particular yeah. ceremony. So anyway, um, we start off with me just totally angry. And um, I asked how, you know, Liz and my sister and my mom were handling it. And of course, they were handling it with grace. And um, anyway, when we walk in, uh, the pastor did not shake Matt's hand. Matt at the time had long hair. And this pastor was rather prejudiced against guys with long hair. And And he was a member of the church, right? uh, Actually, Matt was not a member either. Oh, okay. He'd been attending. He had attended, and yeah, and and some of the band members who obviously they had long hair too. Yeah. And, uh, but he wouldn't shake his hand. He came, the pastor came from a military background. Yeah. So, um, anyway, uh, and then the fact that my nieces and nephews weren't there. And then after the ceremony, I'm just like praying the whole time, Lord, I'm really mad. Oh, is this a sin? I'm getting married right now. Really, really ticked off. And uh, anyway, um, afterwards, though, then my family was, you know, they were trying to make conversation with people. The pastor really wasn't saying anything to anybody until somebody pointed to a picture on his desk and asked, you know, about it. And then it was a picture of him with some space started talking about himself Mm. and of course I had never been in a study before but he had a big picture behind his desk I thought it was maybe his dad but it was him a painting of himself which I found (laughs) very weird and um but anyway uh so that was like a huge a huge deal to me it was just okay no I did not feel comfortable like people said this was weird this was you know, why couldn't, couldn't my nieces be in there? Anyway, um, but, you know, there were a lot of good things I had learned at that church, too. Like I said, some of the main learning, um, faith alone and Christ alone, just a lot of great things, in-depth teaching. But then that was just, you know, huge to me. It was hurtful, yeah. very hurtful and weird. Yeah, um, that's... I don't know. I mean, I when you think about the people that are running a church, you you want to picture them as being like humble and you want to picture them as you know, that servant nature that Jesus took on, but you don't really I don't know, there's something that's communicated by a giant self-portrait in your office. Um I think that's I mean, maybe that's not who that person is, but I think that's a big, you know, what what what's the reason behind that? Why are you have a painting of yourself? up in your office and you know I don't know it's a little strange and then I just the secretary my older sister tried to make conversation with the secretary and and my sister said oh well you look like a friend of mine do you happen to have a you know sister and wherever and she said oh no she said okay because you just remind me of her and then the secretary said oh well is she into doctrine and my sister said um, no, I don't think so. And the secretary just said, oh, that's too bad, and walked off. <laughs> so, 
So. Oh my gosh, Jenny, that's yeah. awful. Yeah, so you can imagine the the awkwardness and uncomfortableness after the wedding and with everyone in there not talking about the elephant in the room, just trying to be, you know, for our sake, focusing on the positive when everybody wanted to go, what was that, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, looking back, what do you think the biggest sign was that there was an issue in the church? Did you see any red flags along the way? Lots. Uh, It was one of the main things. It was a pastor-centered church. Um, He had a strong personality. um, And I think people who... uh, It's semi-cultish. I don't know. Well, it, it fit a lot of you know, um, maybe I'm skipping ahead, but it fits some certain uh, characteristics. And uh, he especially appealed to men, I think, who didn't have good relationships with their fathers. Okay. And um, in the pastor, I remember he co- he would cover his bases in advance. And he would say things, um, like if you know the verse, uh, James 3, verse 1, that says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Well, he basically used that to say that anyone in the congregation who said anything negative about the pastor would receive triple compound discipline. And I'm not making that up. I mean, I laugh, but I shouldn't. But but basically, anything you say, even if it's true, and they're, you know, pastors aren't perfect people, but if you said anything bad, then that discipline was going to come on you. Mm. So... Um, that, and, seems, that seems very biblical. Yeah. yeah. To, to not question anybody in authority. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then the pastor would embarrass and call people out in front of others, just sometimes silly things like um, if you were... Now, we didn't go to the actual church, Uh like I said, most of the time, but there would be people... I remember we have a friend that yawned, and the pastor just yelled, sorry if I'm boring you, you know, and just stuff like that, just kind of humiliating people. Um, And anyone who left was just basically considered, well, you just didn't want to know the truth, because you're led to believe that you can only get truth, really, from here. Uh And um, the spiritual life was taught as very mechanical, and um, taught that bitterness was the worst sin. So if you were upset or left the church and you were bitter, that was the worst sin you could have. Wow. Yeah. And um, like I said, making up some of his own terminology, his own Mm -hmm. words, vocabulary, and um, some of the doctrine, Mm -hmm. uh, like privacy of the priesthood, that is not in the Bible. yeah, it's a, a very individualistic approach, which is completely in contrast with the early church. Exactly. And then um, I remember one incident where we were at our little, um, you know, a group and and having class, listening, and a lady came in who normally came, and she brought this young girl we had never met with her, and the girl happened to sit next to me on this couch, and I'm just sitting there listening, and you know, reading my Bible, following along. And I look over and I see the girl's knee is bleeding. And 
I'm thinking, and it was bleeding, bleeding pretty badly. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, like, what's going on here? We we find out. Thankfully, one of the guys there um, confronts the lady who brought this girl. The lady was on her way to Bible class. The girl, she got in a wreck with this girl. I think it was the girl's fault. Well, you don't miss Bible class, you know. So what does she do? She brings the young girl with her and is going to deal with this afterwards. Well, the young girl is like, I'm thinking, okay, if I was her parent, first of all, oh, I would go ballistic. And, you know, she's obviously hurt. She's just been traumatized, been in a wreck. She's scared. She doesn't know any of us. But, you know, you don't miss Bible class. So, uh, thankfully, one guy afterwards, he made it very clear. He goes, let's just just get this straight right now. if you get in a wreck, you can miss Bible class. Right. Okay, it's oh okay. Gosh. This is, and you know, people were pretty upset with what happened. But that was the kind of thing instilled in you that if the doors were open to the church, you better be there. If there's something going on, you better be there. You don't miss. And uh, which was, and they were very against legalism, which is kind of funny because they were very legalistic in that sense. Uh-huh. Um, but made it very clear that, yeah, okay, the the Bible doesn't say you can't drink, so I'm going to make sure you see me drinking, that kind uh-huh. of thing. Um, and then another huge incident was um, our little group just separately decided to have a Passover Seder and uh, one of the guys contacted some people who were actually uh, believers, and but they performed. They would do these seders to help teach people how it points to Christ. Uh-huh. And um, anyway, I it was great. We did that, and we did that at the place where we met uh-huh. to have the where we would uh, dial in to hear the church service too. But we did this on a separate night and. After that, I was having, uh, during, after one of the Bible classes later on, uh, was talking to a friend and she was asking me how it went because they didn't attend. And I said, oh, it was great. I learned so much. And then this lady from, that had been attending our group just storms up to me and just starts reaming me out. How can you say that? How can you? And I said, uh, because I did learn a lot. Um wow. And it, it was just very weird, but apparently we had a, a mole among us who was who went and told that we had this Seder, uh-huh. and, you know, we weren't doing anything heretical. It, it was just all focused on Christ, but she went and reported that we did this, and so the church sent back this letter that we can't, uh, we can't do that, we can't meet or discuss basically doctrine or anything apart from them apart from that yeah (laughs) and uh, anyway so it just that was really really disturbing I mean because I had learned so much about Christ and just you know the connection there with with the Old Testament and you know the Jewish background it was just incredible Um, but uh, also, this same person that came up and confronted me, basically yelled at me. Um, I had also heard her say, well, if it doesn't come from so-and-so mentioning the pastor's name, I don't listen to it. 
and that's a red flag, you know. It's just, it was, um, there were red flags all over the place. My parents were worried. It was a, a cult, actually. And whenever the pastor's name would come up outside of that group, it was never a good thing, mm-hmm. you know. It was, and so he kind of had this reputation as an arrogant person. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was also another time that he was teaching that Judas was a believer, Judas Iscariot. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> which, well, just, you know, yeah. spoiler alert, he's not. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, Julie and I, my sister, were like, okay, well, we would love if he was. We want him to be a believer. But we started searching the scriptures. We're like, mm, no, pretty sure it doesn't teach that he's a believer. So it wasn't too long after that that, kitchen at the church caught on fire so they couldn't have class for a while and then when they came back it was like there was no mention of Judas ever again it wasn't like oh I'm sorry I was wrong about that mm. so that was just very bizarre okay. too yeah it sounds like there's a whole lot of control like oh yeah that's that's a big red flag is when there's you know like you said somebody who's kind of elevated above everybody else and they have it right. And we, the best we can do is to get in line with their doctrine. Like we're never going to have our own, you know, understanding or someone else is going to bring something out. Like this person has discovered it all and knows it all. And, you know, and I, this is kind of a, a weird thing to say, but I kind of, I, I feel bad for some, in some ways for those kind of, people who take those very dogmatic approaches and like, this is the way it is. Because if they're anything like me, sometimes things change in our understanding and like they, they can't as easily go back and be like, oh, never mind. Right. Actually, I had a very, maybe it was an American mindset or maybe it was my tradition that got in the way. And now I understand that this is a little bit different, but they have to kind of stay in that and just stay as stubborn. I don't know, but it's, yeah, control sounds like a, a a big red flag and these very devoted followers. Yes. They definitely put him on a pedestal and uh, no one should be up there but Christ. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no great teacher. There is, there is Jesus. That is the one great teacher. There's no others, you know, there's not, um, the ones that we need to esteem at the same level. Right. Anybody else you put on a pedestal has nowhere to go but down. So Yeah, very true. Do you feel like there were any other red flags that you saw at your church that maybe in hindsight really stand out as um, damaging? Oh, yeah. Um, there was another doctrine he basically made up called Doctrine of Right Man, Right Woman, where, yeah, (laughs) where there's just one right person for you. And um, thankfully I had mine. So, but uh, no, I, I, but a lot of people that I talked to afterwards, you know, once we got out of this situation, I found out there there were a lot of people that got divorced because Mm -hmm. they thought they were with the wrong their wrong man or wrong woman. Mm -hmm. And then one person that told me they actually contemplated suicide because they thought they missed out on their right man. So So. 
how would you know if you were in the right right or right woman? Does that just have to do with lining up with the teaching of the church or? I think that had a lot to do with it. You know, they would definitely be a member of that that church. I don't think that was said overtly, but there were a lot of things that were done and said that really it that I, I do find that pastor was he he has a lot of responsibility, even though there are certain things he might not have come right out to say, he led people to believe and allowed it to yeah. to foster, you know, that type of thing. So mm-hmm. But yeah, they would definitely be part of that church and into doctrine. Into doctrine. Mm-hmm. Any other doctrinal issues that you saw at the church? Um, yeah, I remember um, my sister and I had wanted to get baptized, but and we didn't ask that pastor about this, but found out that they don't baptize people at that church. Oh. And because they want people to know that, okay, it's faith alone and Christ alone that saves you and not baptism, which is true. But then to go to the length to not baptize people, mm. to basically try to prove that, or to say we're not legalistic, so we're not even going to baptize people, that's uh, that's weird. <laughs> it is. And it's, I mean, it's something, obviously Jesus didn't have to be baptized, but he thought it was important to, to model it. So I would, I don't know how you reconcile that. Right. Like it's maybe it's not necessary. We don't compulse or it's not compulsory to do it, but if you wanted to definitely like, this is a thing you can follow Jesus in. So that's yeah public proclamation that you've placed your faith in Christ and people can yeah. celebrate that with you and um, yeah. you know yeah it's it's you know the thief on the cross yeah. didn't get baptized but he was with Jesus in heaven mm-hmm. but uh, the Ethiopian mm-hmm. got baptized yeah so. <laughs> I mean if I feel like the people that had time to back then basically you know they chose to it wasn't like you have to go do this right now but it was it was also not like yeah you don't really need to bother with it it's not important it was i guess somewhere kind of in between and mm-hmm. and out of an act of love and an act of submission to to god and a, a covenant basically that you're making you know you're you're making a pronouncement to the church this is where i'm trying to walk and i want your your continued support in this. Yeah, exactly. Baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, so. Um, so there's a quote, and I don't, I don't remember who said this, but it's that it's easier to fool a man than to convince them that they have been fooled. Do you feel like that was the case with you or with the people that you were surrounded with? Yes. I mean, I think it's important for people to come to that conclusion on their own. And it's hard when you're in the middle of something. I think of parents, I think, I'm not a parent, but I know my parents went through this and parents deal with this a lot where you have to kind of watch your kids make certain choices and you can tell them all you want. But sometimes they have to learn the hard way or they have to find out on their own and um, it can be hard to watch when you know and you're just sitting back mm-hmm. and, and you just 
you know, you pray for them and pray for them. But I think there's a lot of truth to that because we see what we want to see yeah. a lot of times, even though there are red flags everywhere like there were with this church. And, and it was more overt. I mean, now that I think about it, but I think some of the churches that are less overt with this uh-huh. are even more dangerous because it's kind of like the frog in the pot and right. and then you turn up the water mm-hmm. and then before you know it you know you're you're just that's it but yeah. um so i think it can be dangerous because of the churches that that seem okay on the outside kind of like the the not saying that everyone in there is a pharisee or that the pastor is a pharisee but yeah. they did everything right on the outside the pharisees did but jesus called them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Yeah. So you just have to be careful about the way things look and appear. Just it's, it, it can be deceiving. Yeah. So. I think it's, I think the longer that you spend in certain places, the more that that kind of comes to light. Um, I mean, you were there for seven years and realized more and more it was kind of being uncovered. And so, I mean, I hope, I hope, I hope the people that are listening don't come away with like, don't go to churches because they're full of corrupt people because, you know, spoiler alert, (laughs) they are, they are full of people that are, you know, broken and that are um, wounded and that have, you know, a lot of ugly places on them. But the beauty of Christ is that he is renewing all things and that he can make all, he makes all things new and that we are new creations and that um, there is nothing that is too big for God to transform and, you know, no center that is too far gone for God to transform. But there is a lot of damage that can be done along the way if we're not careful. And, you know, I think that's where the the thought of, or the, the verse about, you know, teachers being held to a higher standard, like, I mean, you you could look at the people that, you know, you know their stories. You know people who have heard, you know, have been told things about maybe their right, right, right man, right woman, and have a broken home for their children now because they weren't with their right person. And, um, you know, you, you shared a little bit about some issues with... Um, with the topic of abortion and how people were treated in a very different way, but that like this life doesn't really matter until they're born. And Mm -hmm. um, that's almost an opposite pendulum swing from where a lot of um, the evangelical church is. And either way, it can be really damaging. And, um, you know, not that this person is, you know, a horrible person for having done that, but that, you know, it, it does have a lasting consequence and like they, they have to live with that. And I don't know for me, people that have had to deal with that, that walk away, mm-hmm. you know, exactly the same as they were before. Like they are, they carry wounds with them and to know that their, you know, pastor or their teachers were signing off on that saying, this is a good idea. You should do this is that's a, that's a scary thought. Um, just how much damage can be done. And so it's important for us to to be aware and to see those red flags. And when we see them, don't wait until we have like 300 red flags. Right. When you start seeing them, start asking questions. And when you start asking questions, how is that received? How is that taken? And 
I think you find out a lot more that way. But my tendency, I am so not confrontational and I'm going to be quiet and I'll, I could see how I would let it go a long time, but, um, that's how we end up in such sticky situations that are really, um, really hurtful. Right. And I think, um, and I don't know if I had mentioned that earlier, you were referring to, um, the, that the pastor said that Mm -hmm. it's, basically taught that it's not a life until it comes out of the womb, which yeah. is very different from what a lot of people teach. And, and um, you know, that I know there were a lot of people hurt by that. And, and it's, it's, they do have a huge responsibility. Pastors do. And I don't, you know, I don't envy that. That is uh-huh. a huge responsibility, teaching the Word of God, rightly dividing the Word. And, and so we should definitely be in prayer. And like you said, I'm not saying... Don't go to churches or anything like that. Just beware. There's no perfect one. And churches can and pastors can um, get off in, on, in the wrong direction and, and start going down a wrong path. But that's why you have those checks and balances in right. place. And, and it's for their own good as well as the congregations. And, and to just, um, um, you know, pray for them. And, and no one is is uh, beyond that. Don't think that that could never happen to you or to your pastor. And just lift them up in prayer, but then know, know when, you know, hey, yeah. enough's enough and this is not right. Jenny is such an amazing person, and I love how she was willing to share about such a hard experience with an unhealthy church. I'm certain that there are people listening who have gone through similar situations. I want to encourage you that Christ can bring healing to all of those hurts. I'm so sorry for the way that people have hurt you and let you down, but I want to encourage you to stay faithful and you will see more of God's faithfulness.